Hey my friends it's Dr Deepika Krishna and welcome to the special episode of Dr D show Hey I am Dr Deepika Krishna and I'm honored to bring world leaders doctors wellness coach and various information in the field of health and wellness with this podcast I have spent the last 15 years studying the human body, treating, learning, speaking and coaching literally on the top levels on the topics of lifestyle, health, immunity, mindfulness and much more. My goal is inspired by my own personal journey and my mission which is to help you and my audience live, love, thrive which is to feel more vibrant, more healthier, more confident in every area of your life If you like today's episode click a screenshot share it on Instagram and tag me at Dr Deepika Krishna so that I can see you and give you a shout out or send a hi If you want to go to another level of your health through lifestyle modification and holistic approaches then book a one to one session with me or our expert team of doctors and nutritionists only on www.immunosciences.in It's time to level up my friend and reset your health to the next level and find your authentic awesome self and health again So go click on www.immunosciences.in and let us support you in your health and wellness journey. Now without further delay let's jump straight into today's episode. Everyone, how have you been? Are you drinking enough water and keeping your gratitude journal updated? I have a question for all of you today. Have you ever laughed so hard that you peed a little in your pants? We all have those kind of embarrassing moment, isn't it? Well, I definitely know some people who, you know, including my kids who did that. So, you know, as a kid, we are afraid of going to the dentist, but as an adult, we do avoid going to a urologist. We are scared to talk about our pee and poo. And of course, it takes much worse turn when men have to address their reproductive health. That's why to help you all I have brought on board an amazing guest who is a urologist and a pelvic surgeon. She is the founder of South Asian Docs. Those who are joining us uh, right now, I'd like to inform that the name of the session is Below the Belt. Everything you need to know about the urinary tract and the men reproductive system. Well, stay till the end and enjoy the discussion and the hot topics which we are going to discuss today. So Rina how have you been I'm good how about you Very very good thank you so much Thank you for having me Oh thank you for taking time out and you know coming for our session for our podcast today I'm sure people are thrilled and um, uh, the session would be as interesting as you know your work I hope so <laughs> Rina why don't you tell something about yourself and your work because I'm sure you know a lot of people don't know uh, exactly what urologists do so just to explain much more better could you just share something about yourself 
Sure. So a urologist is a doctor who does both medicine, medical care, and surgery of the genitourinary tract. So that can include the kidneys, the ureters or tubes that drain the kidneys, the bladder, and the urethra where you urinate from. That also includes the male genitals and the female pelvic floor and genitals as well. So we take care of a lot of different things that can include cancers, that can include um, prostate issues in men. We can talk about uh, kidney stones. We take care of pelvic floor disorders, which can include overactive bladder and urinary incontinence or leakage or having to go to the bathroom very often. We also take care of children and infertility. So we have a lot of different things that we take care of uh, in urology. And myself, I am a urologist. I trained in um, Chicago for residency, which is uh, in Illinois, and did a fellowship in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery in Dallas, Texas. And now I practice in Maryland in the United States. Wow, that's an awesome uh, journey of yours. So glad to know about your, you know, uh, achievements. Thank you. So, you know, let's begin with the most common question, which I am sure a lot of people are thinking and trying every day, so trying to solve it about, you know, because like they say that one should drink enough water to keep hydrated. Uh, you know, the doctors do, doctors, the skin therapists, and a lot of people do suggest that around drinking around eight to nine glasses of water every day is okay. But what, what does your take? Do you think that much water is okay? Is a bladder able to intake that much water? Or, you know, yeah. how much water is okay for a person uh, to drink? Is there any kind of measurement? So, yeah, the National Kidney Foundation recommends 64 ounces of fluid during the day. That includes all the fruits you eat, all the vegetables you eat that have water in them. That includes the chais, the, uh, the, any other beverage, including water. So it doesn't mean that you need eight to nine glasses of water. It is good to drink more water for certain things, like if you have recurrent bladder infections or recurrent urinary tract infections, or if you're having kidney stones, or if you have other medical conditions which require you to drink in, you know, two to three liters of water a day, in those cases, it's great. In someone who's going to the bathroom a lot or waking up at night a lot, sometimes drinking too much can actually make that worse. And it really comes down to how bothered you are. So if you're going to the bathroom every hour and you don't really care, well then keep drinking all that fluid because it's certainly not gonna harm you. But if you're bothered and you're going to the bathroom a lot or you're waking up multiple times at night, you really need to take notice of how much you're drinking and what you're drinking and maybe cut that down a little bit to see if that improves your symptoms. Yeah, I mean, um, in fact, with me also, you know, uh, because to hydrate my skin, I started drinking enough water. And then, of course, it also disturbs your sleep if you drink, you know, too much of water during night and you're not able and you have to go to the uh, bathroom again. It's really disturbed your sleep as well. I believe so. Yeah, for sure. And sleep is so important for so many different things. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I totally understand that waking up at night can really disrupt your whole day. Yeah, but that's a pretty uh, good information here that the eight glasses, how much ounces you said, uh, Dr. 64 Lina? ounces, 64 ounces. So that makes uh, how many glasses of water? 
uh, eight, about eight glasses, depends on the size of the glass, obviously, yeah. but eight yeah. glasses, of eight ounce, you know, eight so that's ounces. That's a pretty good information here because, you know, when we say eight glasses, people really force themselves to drink eight glasses of water. And we do forget that our vegetables, our salads, our, you know, everyday liquid also consist of equal amount of hydration. So, you know, uh, you can fulfill, get those kind of uh, hydration through your vegetables and fruits as well. So that is also sufficient. Absolutely. Right. Um, so in, in fact, uh, I've also known that that uh, drinking too much of excessive water also sometimes washes out your nutrition, uh, which your body or your gut is supposed to absorb. What do you have to say about that? Well, so I think that generally speaking, the way I gauge hydration is look at your urine. So look at the color of the pee when you urinate. And if it is clear, that means you're drinking too much. It needs to be like a lemonade color, light yellow. If it's too dark, that means that you're not drinking enough. So it's a really easy, cheap way to figure out if you're hydrated or not. Yeah, have a look in the pot, guys. <laughs> I mean, it is so important. I mean, like, uh, you know, in fact, JJ Virgin also shares, says that, that you need to watch your poop and you say here that you need to watch your pee so yes guys have a look in the pot after you finish your you know do do your excretory system uh so the next one you know i have one so the questions which i am asking here Rina, some mm -hmm. are um some have been reached to us via very inquisitive uh, you know, patients, incubus of people who want to know something about uh, urology more. So, and some, my team has researched on the, on their own. So the questions are all a mix of questions. The next sure. question, which I want to ask you has been, you know, asked by a lot of patients in particular, uh, that can diet affect the bladder and how does caffeine and smoking affect the bladder health? Yes, great question. So diet absolutely can affect the bladder. So there are two major bladder irritants, alcohol and caffeine. So caffeine doesn't necessarily just mean coffee, that can mean tea, that can mean your dark sodas or chocolate. Those things all have caffeine in them. In fact, even ice cream can have caffeine in it. So you have to look at the ingredients when you're having ice cream. But those things have been studied to, to show that when you have those, those beverages or those, those things, that they they can make you go to the bathroom more urgently. So feeling that gotta go, gotta go, gotta rush to the bathroom. They can also make you uh, make more urine than you're taking in, which is called having a diuretic effect. And so all of those things can make those symptoms of rushing to the bathroom or going more often worse. And it's very individualized because some people are very sensitive to caffeine and even one cup of coffee can make them run to the bathroom a lot. And some people can drink a huge cup, you know, like 32 ounces and be fine without really any symptoms. So it's important to take notice. There's a couple other things that we tell people to take notice of as well, which include uh, spicy foods, which as Indians, we eat a lot of um, mm -hmm. artificial sweeteners and uh, citrusy foods or tomato based products. That's like a lot of the things that we eat in Indian culture. Uh, but, you know, I tell people if you're suffering from these symptoms, take one thing out at a time. So if you drink a lot of, you know, take out that cup of chai in the morning and see how you feel. And if you feel good, then that was the cause and continue. And if not, put it back in and take something else out and see if it improves your or, uh, your bladder symptoms. 
caffeine for sure you know it does do does a lot of harm but you also spoke about tomatoes and other sour kind of food how does that um, you know uh, hamper the bladder or you know, how does that causes any kind of irritation could you just elaborate more on that Yeah, so essentially there have been animal studies that show the bladder lining it's hypersensitive, so it gets more overactive, meaning that it feels the urge to it feels the it gets a sensation that it's full before it's ready. Oh, that's pretty interesting. And it's different from person to person. I think that there's no great studies on those other things. That's why I tell people just pay attention to your diet and it can be very powerful to eliminate certain things in your diet and it may have changed your life. Mm. In fact, you know, uh, in India, some elderly people they had some, you know, something to say about the tomatoes. That if you are eating too much of tomatoes, uh, you might get kind of you know stone in the ureter or something. Although it doesn't have any scientific, um, you know, study or I don't know how true these things are. But you know, when you mention about uh, tomatoes and other sides are kind of food, which also causes some kind of irritation, might cause some kind of irritation. Uh, I think there must be some kind of connection, you know, between tomatoes and your uh, bowel or your, you know, excretory system. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are certainly patients who tell me that I can't have tomato pasta sauce, you know, at dinner because I'll be up all night. Um, and it's not it's not everybody, but certainly there are people who really notice a distinct difference. And I think a lot of the times we get used to what we feel like, and you really don't notice until you eliminate that food if it actually changes your life because you won't know. Yeah, absolutely. Because we are so used to of eating, so we don't know how does it feel without uh, getting that that kind of irritation. Well, it's a very interesting answer. In fact, um, um, you know, like I said, that a lot of patients they do not understand what is the cause of the thing, and that's why we, you know, t- try to do a lot of. Uh, study in deep on the particular person on their excretory system on the food they are eating and uh, i mean not a proven but have we have seen you know some kind of relatability between uh, particular food like uh, tomatoes and you know and some kind of gut irritation so i'm sure it might extend, although i don't think there are any kind of proven study till now Yeah, I don't know about the the gut specifically. As far as kidney stones, I have there's no linkage between tomato-based products and kidney stones specifically. It's oxalate-based foods yeah. uh, that can cause kidney stones like spinach, rhubarb, which Indians don't eat. Um but like nuts, lots of nuts if you're eating a lot of those or high protein content in your diet can make you more predisposed to getting kidney stones, not necessarily tomato-based products. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it all depends upon your gut bacteria. If you have the bacteria to digest oxalate, you know, uh, you're good right. to go with the spinach and all. Uh, well, so you know, I mean, the people who do not uh, are not good, very very friendly with the tomatoes. I mean, the lycopene is missing. So yes, you can always take the supplement if you are okay doing that and take good benefit out of that. So mm-hmm. uh, please tell our audience that what is uh, UTI. and why does it happen and how can one prevent or reverse it 
Yes. So urinary, a UTI is a urinary tract infection. And the def, the word means that it can occur anywhere in the urinary tract, the kidneys or the bladder, but most commonly it occurs in the bladder with the, what's called cystitis. And so mm-hmm. how will you know if you have a UTI? Well, you may have some more urgency, meaning you have to rush to the bathroom or more frequency, but the most common symptom and the most reliable symptom that you have a urinary tract infection is pain when you urinate. People kind of describe it as a burning pain um, when they urinate. Uh, And the ways to prevent it are drinking lots of water, uh, which is really important, as I mentioned earlier, in people who have recurrent infections, making sure that you're very hydrated is important. But finding the source of the infection, if you're getting them over and over again, is really important. So it is important to see a physician if that's the case, because you might have a kidney stone or difficulty emptying your bladder or other things things that could be causing these problems. And you want to make sure that those aren't contributing. But there are people who get infections for really no reason at all. Uh, in, in women, it's more common because we have a shorter urethra or P-tube where the urine empties from. So it can translocate bacteria from the colon into the bladder and cause you at higher risk for infections. Mm-hmm. So the ways to other things to do to prevent it are um, One is making sure that you go to the bathroom pretty regularly. So don't hold your urine for long periods of time because people uh, will make kind of, um, what do we call it, bad behaviors or bad habits of holding their urine because they don't want to use the bathroom somewhere or they want to wait till they get home. And you can think about it as if that's urine sitting in your bladder for long periods of time, it becomes food for bacteria. So it helps them grow. So making sure that you empty regularly and that when you empty going to the bathroom, that you're fully relaxed and you're emptying. So in the U.S., very often people will hover over the toilet rather than sitting or squatting. Um, and that is actually can be detrimental because your pelvic floor muscles, which are around your urethra, need to relax in order to empty your bladder. So making sure that you are sitting, you are relaxed and you are, you know, making sure you're completely empty, sometimes even going twice. So urinating, standing up and urinating again to make sure you're completely empty can be helpful. And another thing that's been shown uh, that's been proven in studies to help is cranberry, uh, but not the cranberry juice or the cranberries themselves, because you would need to eat a lot of cranberries or drink a lot of uh, either concentrated cranberry juice or, you know, the sugary one doesn't have enough cranberry content in it. So you need to find capsules that have 36 milligrams of proanthocyanidins. That's the the active ingredient that's been studied in cranberry to help prevent recurrent infections. And so taking one tablet a day can be helpful in preventing infections. Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, during pregnancy also a lot of women, I think it's uh, the most common thing which uh, women generally catches is UTI, you know, during pregnancy. And uh, it has been seen that, um, you know, canberry uh, tablets, canberry seeds have, you know, they are uh, very good to, you know, recover your UTI and does, uh, Great, great help. So I'm, uh, I'm very glad that you spoke about that, you know, uh, men, they need to sit down and, uh, you know, do their pee while, while they are, uh, you know, while they go to use their washroom, because a lot of time we see that, you know, men, they spill their pee, uh, 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, but generally it's very difficult to find a nice hygienic toilet, uh, particularly in India in public place. So that is also the reason, you know, the women, they avoid using the public washroom and they like to hold the washroom till the time they reach to a safer place or at their home. But um, it's, you have also mentioned here that it's most important to empty your bladder and uh, stop the organism or the microbacteria grow in that so that, you know, you can prevent the infection. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's a tough problem. I totally understand that public toilets can be very, very dirty, uh, but it's, it's just, you, you will create more problems down the road if you hold your urine for long periods of time. In fact, your bladder can get so used to not emptying that it can weaken the ability to empty over many, many years. And I see many patients who are now more you know, elderly and they, they have no bladder squeeze left. So they can't empty their bladder because of years of holding their urine. And that's less common, of course, but it can happen. And so you, know, you don't wanna get down to when you're 80 years old and not be able to empty your bladder and need a catheter. So uh, it is really important to just make sure you're emptying pretty regularly. Yeah. And also, you know, people have this habit to carry their uh, phone to the, I mean, you're engaging your mind while you are excreting. That's, I think, the horrible thing once one can do because you're not present to, you know, evacuate your bladder absolutely correctly. You need to be present because if you are distracted most of the time, how will you, uh, you know, do your thing properly? Right. Particularly for bowel movements, you, you know, you find that people will sit on the toilet for long periods of time because they're looking at their phone. And in fact, that can lead to things like constipation and dysfunctional uh, bowel movements. So it's really important to just do your business and get out. Like yeah, don't sit there and scroll your phone. Pay attention there. Yeah. Um, you know, Rina, you know that, you know, men love their testosterone. And um, uh, what do you have to say about, you know, too much of testosterone? Is it good or is it bad? And in fact, you know, these days, a lot of men, they inject themselves for ex with extra testosterone, you know, just to get uh, some benefit out of it. What do you have to say about that? So if you have low testosterone and it's been tested and it's low, testosterone is very beneficial for many things, including cognition, muscle mass, libido, sex drive, all those things. But if you are taking it and you have a normal testosterone, that is not safe because it puts you at risk for things like blood clots and heart problems and really can have um, can actually make your blood thicker and make you have problems down the line. So it's really not safe to do that and for, for that reason. And two, it causes infertility. So if you are trying to conceive or have a child with your, you know, with a heterosexual partner, then you are going to be unable to have a baby because it basically stops sperm production. And so a lot of people don't know that. So a lot of young men are taking testosterone and then it comes time to have a child and they're wondering why they can't get pregnant. Yeah, because they're just focused on their looks, you know, they want that bulky muscles. And that's why <laughs> testosterone is. But uh, yeah, please pay attention, guys. You need to follow Dr. Rina. Okay. And there's a lot of ways to naturally boost your testosterone. So you don't need to take all these supplements, you can 
make sure you get good sleep. It's actually been shown to improve testosterone, do a muscle, like high resistance training or high interval intensity training exercises. And if you're overweight, weight loss can boost your testosterone. So doing those things in and of itself will improve your testosterone on its own. So you don't need to take a shot or do something unless you have low testosterone at baseline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so infertility is also a taboo topic, especially for men. And in India, of course, it is. Uh, how often can this occur in men and what can they do about it? Yeah, so it occurs, you know, infertility is actually quite common. It occurs in about, you know, 20% of couples. And when you look at infertility, what that means is that you're unable to have a baby after 12 months of unprotected intercourse. So you're trying actively to have a baby and you can't after 12 months. And it is half the time uh, the male is part of the reason for infertility. So about 20%, the male is entirely the problem for infertility. And the other 30%, they contribute to infertility with their partner. So it's important for men to get evaluated in addition to their partner. I find that a lot of times the men are the afterthought. They, you know, the woman goes to see the doctor, gets all this workup, but the man kind of waits. And actually the workup is very, very easy. It's a blood test, you know, a few blood tests, as well as a semen analysis. And yes, it is scary and awkward and uncomfortable to have this discussion and talk about it. But it's important because you want to have a baby if you're suffering from this issue and really we're here to help you. Yeah. yeah men are uh, men often aren't aware about the option of vasectomy and misunderstand it uh, as a dangerous process that steal their male hormones, that it'll steal their male hormones away from them. What do you have to please tell something about, you know, vasectomy and, uh, you know, is it a safe one and, you know, some more details on that? Yeah. So all a vasectomy does is it snips the highway where the sperm travels from the testicles into your ejaculate. It will not change the amount you ejaculate because that amount of sperm is actually very, very small. It will not change your testosterone level. It will not put you at higher risk for any type of cancer. And it's actually a very easy procedure. So it's done with local anesthesia, meaning you don't have to go to sleep with anesthesia. Um, and it's done in the office. And typically people are back to work in about a day or two. Uh, the pain is very minimal. There is, you know, of course, with any procedure, there are risks, but it's extremely rare to have anything that extends beyond a couple days. And when it does, it's, you know, less than 1% of people that have a problem. It's 99% effective for preventing pregnancy. Um, once you've confirmed that it's worked, which means you do have to get a semen analysis after a vasectomy to make sure that it worked. Uh, but once it's confirmed, then you can, you know, you can be safe from not having unwanted pregnancies. And so it's really much safer for a man to undergo a vasectomy than for a woman to undergo a tubal ligation, which is a similar procedure for a woman because that has to go in the abdomen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what about erectile dysfunction? Because, you know, sometimes when men, they face early erectile dysfunction, it is generally said that they might be, you know, some kind of heart issue. Is it true? Yes. Yeah, so, 
Absolutely. So when you are suffering erectile dysfunction, it's extremely important to go see your primary doctor and get your heart evaluated because erectile dysfunction can be a harbinger of heart disease and the first sign that there's something wrong with your heart. So it's important to get evaluated and make sure that your lipid profile is okay, that your EKG and all those things are okay so that we can be sure that this erectile dysfunction is not a sign of that. And erectile dysfunction is very, very common. So as you age, if you look at over 50, almost half of men will suffer some form of erectile dysfunction. So even it can be extremely isolating and stressful, uh, but it is very, very common. So there's no need to feel embarrassed when you come to the doctor. This is something we see all the time. Yeah, but is there any treatment for that? Mm -hmm. So yeah, with erectile dysfunction, there's a number of treatments available. There are uh, medications, which you can try, including um, the sildenafil, tadalafil, or vardenafil are the medications which can help you um, achieve erectile erections. Essentially, you need to take them on an empty stomach, and you need to have some stimulation in order for them to work. So a lot of men, when they get these medications, don't really understand how to use them, and that can be a big barrier. They won't just magically appear. You need to have kind of get excited about the prospect of the erection, and then you can then it can start working. There are also uh, vacuum pumps, which essentially include a restricting band that you put at the base of the penis with a vacuum that helps basically force blood flow into the penis and creates an erection that way. It works very reliably and very efficiently. Uh, but it does feel a little different for men. Uh, and then there are um, intraurethral suppositories, those small little tablets you can put in the urethra that cause erections. They work a little bit better than medications, but they're very hard to get here in the United States because they're kind of expensive. Um, so I don't prescribe them often. And then there are injections that you can give yourself. And usually you need to be trained by a urologist to to do it, or you can probably find a YouTube video um, and, and see how to do it. But it's very, very easy. The needle is very, very small. So while it engenders a lot of anxiety in men, it's really not that difficult. Um, and you and those work extremely effectively. And then there are surgical options like penile implants, which you can you know look into if you've tried other options and exhausted all other options and still can't achieve an erection. If you're doing any of these treatments, you just need to be aware if you have an erection that lasts longer than four hours after getting one of these treatments, you need to go to the emergency room or see a doctor immediately. Oh, that's very important then. But are these uh, procedures, whatever you mentioned, are absolutely safe or do they have some uh, you know, side effects? Every, every procedure or medication has side effects. So with the, with the oral medications, uh, you can take them with most most medical conditions, if you are taking something called a nitroglycerin or nitrate medication, where you put it under your tongue and it dissolves when you have chest pain, you cannot take these medications. But Otherwise, people do have side effects, which can include headache or flushing or feeling like you have a head cold very often. Um, with uh, sildenafil, sometimes people can have vision changes. Um, and with tadalafil, you can get muscle aches. So there are certainly side effects. Um, with the vacuum pump, you can get bruising or discomfort. And with the injections, you can also get bruising, discomfort. Um, and you can, again, with those, have that higher risk of getting an erection that lasts for a long period of time. Okay. But these are not long lasting. It just, you know, may, you can get, get these for some time and then maybe recover yourself, mm -hmm. which can be uh, long lasting as well. 
So as far as, you know, it depends on some, it depends on the cause of the erectile dysfunction. If you can regain erectile function, very often it's not possible. Very often once you have erectile dysfunction, it's because your blood flow is reduced due to a heart disease or a vascular disease, um, or you have a difficulty with nerve, nerve flow to the to the penis. And so those things are usually irreversible, but improving your cardiovascular health and your fitness uh, and weight loss can all help improve those things, which can then in turn potentially improve blood flow to the penis. So kind of working on your overall cardiovascular health, uh, which means exercising and eating a good clean diet can help in those areas. And uh, Rina, what about stem cells? I've heard or read somewhere that, you know, even people are opting for stem cell, um, you know, particularly on your, uh, you know, those areas. So does that work? Is this a painful process? Do you have any, you know, can you just tell something about us, about uh, the stem cell? Sure. So right now, this, at least in the United States, is in clinical trials. We don't have sufficient evidence at least in the United States, to give this like uh, um, to give this you know with FDA approval yet. So it's only done. There are some people in private practice doing it, but generally speaking, it's it's only done in the context of a clinical trial where they are trying to see if this is beneficial. Same thing with people are using shockwave lithotripsy. Those things are all currently being done in trials. So there's not sufficient evidence to discuss if these are really beneficial or not yet. They may be. They, the the initial data is promising, but I think that it's it's still not at the point, at least in my practice, where we use it wide, widely. Uh, and how about if someone uh, loses libido? Mm-hmm. So libido, very often the workup for loss of libido is, is to look into testosterone, but there's also a number of psycho, psychological factors that need to be addressed. So if you are having stress at home or work or um, you know, you're having issues with your partner, it can manifest as decreased libido. And so those things need to be investigated. And sometimes even seeing a a psychologist or a sex therapist, if you have one near you, can be helpful to kind of understand what's going on. A lot of times the other big thing that's going on uh, in modern society is the widespread use of pornography, which gets people to think that this is what sex should be like in in your personal life, which is not reflective. I mean, these are not normal situations. And so having those expectations can make it more difficult for you to achieve the same, you know, level of response when you're having in-person intimate intercourse. And so I think adjusting expectations and modulating how much you use those sorts of things to uh, achieve, you know, desire or masturbation and kind of modulating that and, you know, really emphasizing intimate and interpersonal relationships and spending time with your partner can be helpful in improving your libido as well. Uh, and uh, how does, you know, one take care of their sperm health and how do one, you know, what about the testicular health? Like how does one can example, sorry. Yeah, so there's been food been cooking at my house, so we can hear the whistle in a minute. Well, I'll ask this question again. Uh, so what about uh, how to maintain a good sperm health? How can men ensure that their sperm is good health? And what about testicular examination, um, you know, testicular health? Can they do a self-examination? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So for, well, I'd say your, your uh, sperm health, essentially, if you are normal fertility and you are having normal ejaculations, there's really nothing you need to do specifically to maintain your sperm health. There are certain things that we tell people who are suffering from infertility to do, which may be beneficial, but you know, there's not a lot of data. We tell people not to put their cell phone in their front pocket because the heat on the testicles can be damaging. Um, and we tell people not to put their laptop on their lap when they're working because those things, again, the heat from those things can be uh, detrimental to, to sperm production. And then, um, you know, other things really haven't been proven in, in large scale studies to, to, to show that they really improve sperm health. But again, keeping a healthy diet, eating fruits and vegetables have been shown to improve sperm production. So eating five or more servings of fruits and vegetables a day can be helpful. And then as far as testicular self exams, so testicular cancer is something that affects actually younger men. A lot of people don't realize that, but between the ages of 20 and 40 or so, men are at risk for testicular cancer. So we do recommend that men do a self exam in the shower or right after getting out of the shower once a month. And what that entails is is basically holding your testicle with one hand and taking the other one and kind of feeling around the testicle. And at the backside, you will feel a little cord-like structure called the epididymis, which is completely normal. So it's important to get a baseline exam to know what your testicles feel like, and then examine them monthly to make sure there are no lumps, bumps, hard nodules, or anything like that, because that, you know, that may be concerning for testicular cancer. And so that's really important to do once a month. Oh, that's pretty easy. It's the same, you know, uh, what we suggest for the uh, the breast examination. Similarly, you have to palpate and uh, just observe for any, you know, uh, any kind of nod or any swelling out there. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we have almost reached to the end of the session. It's It was a wonderful, wonderful talk with you. I just have one question, you know, which I personally want to ask you that uh, what brought you to, you know, the study of urology? Like what, how, how did you got interested to study this? Yeah, I actually had no idea what urology was or even if I wanted to do surgery, to be honest with you. But when I went into medical school, I really liked surgery and I liked working with my hands and being able to provide patients with an immediate you know, immediate care for whatever their issue is. And then I found urology and I just love the diversity of surgeries that we can do in urology to help people in all stages of life. We take care of patients for a lifetime. You know, they come, we have chronic care for our patients. And I will say that urologists are, you know, great human beings. They're very <laughs> um, fun to be around. And I, I think it's important to like your colleagues. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure our viewers got a lot of insight of by today's talk. And it was a great, great session. And uh, I personally I learned a lot from you. And yeah, I mean, hopefully, we'll see you again and do another session, another podcast session with you. Well, till then, see you take care. Have a lovely, lovely week, weekend and the year ahead. Thanks, you too. Thank you so much.